Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I'll add my welcome. Appreciate you all being here this morning. Thank you for our visitors coming our way. Some familiar faces. Appreciate you all being here. And um, it's good to be here amongst you on this Lord's Day. Last week we considered the events in Acts chapter 8 with the, conver- the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is in response to someone challenging me to preach a lesson using only Isaiah 53. Now, I don't want to give this person away, the identity of this person, but it rhymes with Kevin. So if you, I don't know, I hope that doesn't give it away too much as to who made this challenge. Um, but I was challenged to present a lesson from Isaiah 53. So last week we looked at the accounts there from Acts chapter 8 when Philip uh, preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. And we made the point there that Philip was an evangelist. Philip was, first he was a deacon there in the church in Jerusalem, but he went on after the scattering of the, of the church there. We see that he became an evangelist and was going through Samaria and he was teaching and preaching the gospel. And The Lord called him and told him about this one, this Ethiopian, who was on his way back from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. He told him to go to him and catch up to him. And so he did, and so he was happened to be reading from Isaiah. And we know there that it was chapter 53 that he was reading from. And the scripture says, so from that point he preached Jesus to him. So we looked at last week how, or, or what Philip might have said to him. And we made the points that whatever he said, the Ethiopian eunuch responded by seeing, saying, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So whatever the message was, beginning there from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, he told this man about Jesus, the Savior, and how to be saved from his sins, he needed to be baptized. So this morning, what I would like to do is fulfill the the final promise of teaching, preaching from Isaiah 53. So as you turn there, we're going to be looking at this wonderful, beautiful passage here that encapsulates the prophecy of the coming Messiah. I made the point last week about the circumstances with the evangelist Philip, that he had um, some things possible made to him enabled him to be able to preach and teach the way he did, some things that I don't have. But on the other hand, I do have something from the Holy Spirit that's invaluable, and that is the complete revealed Word of God. So I know that I can go here and understand what the will of God is, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So this week we'll look at Isaiah 53 about the coming Messiah, that is Jesus And we'll see how accurately the prophet Isaiah predicted him and predicted his ministry. So let's look here in chapter 53 and and see what it tells us about the coming Messiah. But I wanted to actually start by looking at chapter 52 and verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. We consider the description of Jesus that will follow in chapter 53. I want us to think about 
this exalted servant, this one of God who was promised, and the fulfillment of that promise in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look here in chapter 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed the message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jack read these verses for us in our scripture reading this morning. It's interesting that he starts off this way, about who has believed our message, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed. It starts off in this way of, of asking, who has, the, uh, who has believed this report that we're, that we're bringing? As we go through, we'll see there's only 12 verses here in chapter 53. But each three verses tell us something a little bit different about Jesus, with overlap, of course. But in these first three verses about the exalted servant, we see that he was uh, acquainted with grief. So here in verse 1 again, it says, Who has believed our message? Who is this our that's mentioned here? Why the plural form, our? Well, if the case could be made that this hour, those who are bringing the message are all those who spoke of the coming Messiah in the face of those who didn't believe it. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 37, it says, These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, saying, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Sound familiar? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their hearts so they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. This is a something that we see in Scripture. We've been talking about this in our type and anti-type class. The things of the Old Testament pointing to the things in the New Testament. That is this. So when we see in Isaiah talking about who has believed our report, whom has he talked, or who has the arm of the Lord been revealed, we go to the New Testament to understand who he's talking about. He's talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Our message all those who would bring the message of the coming Messiah, even those during the time of our Messiah walking on this earth, as the Apostle John did in writing his gospel, recounting those things that happened while Jesus was on the earth. It speaks here of a tender shoot that grew out of dry ground. Jesus would come from a kingly lineage. Remember, he's going to come from the lineage of David. He's going to come from that glorious lineage that was set up to be king. But during the time that he would come, the glory of Israel was not what it once was. Herod was the king when Jesus was born. Not according to Israel's history, not from the lineage of David. So a time when the Sadducees and the Pharisees ruled the people. This was not God's intentions. When the Isaiah speaks of coming out of the dry ground, we see Jesus coming out of this bygone years of the glory of Israel. A time when those things, those 400 years 
between the testaments, the time we call the time of silence, the period of silence. But our Lord comes up out of that. It says he has no stately form. Nothing that, that should draw our attention to him. He did not have the looks of the king. People were not attracted to his appearance. Think about the accounts with Saul. When he is chosen as king. How he was tall. He looked like a king. Of course we know that that was a terrible mistake. The people of Israel made. And would be corrected. And David would be made king. But he didn't have an appearance that attracted people to him. And in fact... He was despised of men. In Matthew 13 and verse 57, it says, And they took offense at him, speaking of our Lord, asking, Isn't this the carpenter's son? They took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mark 10, verses 33 and 34 says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later he will rise again. This was a man of sorrows and grief. This is a man knew, who knew of the things that were waiting for him when he got to Jerusalem for that last time. Acquainted with sorrows and grief. This was a man who understood and willfully went into his suffering. It says, he bore our griefs. Let's read verses 4 through 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He bore our griefs. says he carried our sorrows, pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities, took our chastening, was scourged to heal us. The iniquity fell on him. He bore our griefs. Now we understand from passages like Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, it says the soul who sins will die. So when we think about the consequences of sin, we're worthy of death. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. What we earn because of sin is death. Yet Jesus bore our sins in his body and died to them so that we don't have to suffer eternal spiritual death. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. There's the price that was paid for our sins. Jesus bore all those sins. 
on the cross in his body. But it says that we're like sheep. Everyone's gone according to his own way. You think about that. Each one is guilty of following his or her own passions, his or, own, his or her own lusts in this world, like sheep that are scattered, off in all different directions. But with the sheep, it's only the shepherd that can call them back into the fold. We think about Jesus and him being that chief shepherd, that good shepherd who calls his sheep, and sheep hear his voice. So we think about a suffering servant when we think about our Lord Jesus Christ. We also think about his submission. Back in our reading, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, and, yet, uh, and he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. I talk about our Lord's submission. Yet he did not open his mouth. As he's being put on trial here, stood this, this trial on, on trumped-up charges, yet he didn't answer a single one of them. We know that he didn't have to. Matthew 27, verse 14, says, And he did not answer him with regard to a single charge, so the governor was quite amazed. Here's a man who's being put on trial for his life, yet he didn't open his mouth to these charges that were brought falsely against him. Jesus understood his mission. He understood that he must suffer and die. We read there from that account where Jesus said, I'm going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put to death at the hands of men. He understood what his mission was. He told his disciples this same thing on many occasions, that it was his duty to die. The verses here say he was cut off from the land of the living, violently put to death, taken out from amongst the living in the world, violently put to death, Yet he had done no violence. He says, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was silent before his shearers. The ultimate and submissive act. If you've ever seen or been around sheep when they're, they're sheared, we know how passive sheep can be. This is described of our Lord. Like a sheep silent before his shears, he opened not his mouth. To answer the trumped-up charges, the false charges that were put against him. He was silent. Another thing we see here, that while he suffered these things, while he was put to death for our transgressions, suffering in silence, he does have his reward. Beginning in verse 10. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. 
if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will hear, uh, he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion of the great and will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Jesus did have his reward. It says there in verse 10 that the Lord was, was pleased to crush him. This is not being pleased to see him suffer and die, but pleased to see mankind saved from their sins. Our God was pleased to see his plan, which was set in motion so many years ago, knowing he had to redeem man from his sin, and knowing that it only be done through the sacrifice of his only begotten son. So when our Lord is there on the cross, God is pleased to see his plan being carried out. Without his death, without this guilt offering, without all the offerings that the, the Lord's sacrifice represents, redemption is impossible. We made the point this morning in our class. Without the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be called Christians. We would not be here today in this religious setting. That's why it pleased God to see his plan carried out and through his faithful son, his faithful servant. Jesus has his reward. It says he will see his offspring his offspring, those who are called children of God. 1 John 3 and verse 1 see it says, See what great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be child, called children of God, and such we are. We shall be called children of God. That's the offspring of our Lord. That's his offspring, those in righteousness. Not born of Abraham, but born of faith born of the faith that we have to recognize God as our creator and Jesus Christ as our savior. Those are our Lord's offspring. We are our Lord's offspring. It says, he bore the sins of many. We mentioned this over and over, and it's over and over in this passage about bearing the sins, bearing the iniquity of us, of us all. He interceded for the transgressors. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become righteousness of God in him. We've made this point before, and I'll make it again. Jesus Christ never sinned, yet he bore the sin of all mankind. It's important for us to understand that. important for us to understand and know that he died for our sins so that we didn't have to, so that we don't have to suffer that eternal separation from our God. He died for our sins. 
We've said this before, and it doesn't hurt for us to say it again and understand it, that the price paid for sin was enormous. We talked about it in our class this morning. There in Hebrews 10, 29, about those who would count it common, unclean, the blood of our Lord. The price paid for sin was enormous. So large, in fact, that the only way it could be paid was for God to put his only son to death. The only way our sins can be redeemed was through the blood of his only begotten son, the blood of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this great sacrifice throughout his writings. But we see it so abundantly clear here in chapter 53 about this exalted servant. We see a man of humble beginnings who had no reason for men to esteem him. He didn't look like a king. No reason to be called to him in that physical manner. Very lowly birth, very lowly upbringing. This tender shoot out of dry ground. But he was acquainted with grief. A man who bore the guilt and punishment, not for anything he had done, but for all others. A man who was put on mock trial. Allegations and accusations put against him that weren't true. Yet he didn't argue with his accusers. He opened not his mouth. And through his selfless action, salvation has been brought to all mankind. So when we read that about it pleasing God to crush him, don't we get a little bit better understanding of that? We see God, we see his faithful servant, his only begotten son, fulfilling the mission that had so long ago been put in place. It pleased him to crush our Lord. Through his selfless actions, these things have taken place. This exalted servant that we read about here in Isaiah 53. And what's amazing about it is, if we see the, this plan through time, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, coming through Isaiah the prophet, speaking of this one that would come and take away the sins of the whole world. And here we sit today and understand that salvation is still available today. The same salvation as those who, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, realized what they had done at putting the Son of God to death. Remember what they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. Salvation is still available today. You've heard the good news about the Messiah. Isaiah 53 is a great place to go to hear, to read, to understand about the Messiah. You've heard the good news. The, the anointed one, the one chosen to save man from eternal death. And the questions then start coming to you. 
do you believe what you heard? Do you believe in this man called Jesus who suffered these things, put to death at the hands of men? And if you do, you must realize that you're guilty of sin. Why? Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of sin. We must understand that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We must also realize that Jesus is indeed the only begotten Son of God the Father. He is the one. He is the anointed one. He is the one that God put forth to carry out his plan of saving men from their sins. And realizing that, our Lord asks you to confess his name. Matthew 10, verse 32 says, Therefore anyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. We have to make that confession. Of understanding who Jesus Christ was and is. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And upon that, that confession, Philip stopped the chariot. And the two of them went down into the water and he baptized him. Upon the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are ready to be baptized. You're ready to be saved from your sins. Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe is condemned. Maybe as a child of God already, you've lost your way. You've become like one of those we mentioned in Hebrews 10 and verse 29, after being sanctified, after being set apart, that you count the blood of our Lord as a common thing, a profane thing. Just trample it underfoot. And grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're guilty of those things, you need to make that right in your life. If it's of a private nature, take care of it privately. Ask your Lord to forgive your sins. In 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess them to him. If you're not a child of God, we have things ready. Things have been prepared. You can be baptized this very hour. Whatever needs you might have, you can let those be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.